Hey everyone, and welcome to the True Strength Podcast. My name is Daniel, and here, my fellow co-hosts Zach and I talk about being productive and taking care of yourself. Fundamentally, we believe these are important aspects of true strength. Hey guys, quick preface before we start this episode. I'm excited to announce that we are joined once again by Billy Branch. Being dangerous is a topic that he is very passionate about and well-versed in, so let's dive right in. Welcome back to the podcast, Billy. Hey, it's good to be here again. We're going to act like we didn't just talk for 20 minutes about a variety of things. But yes, so good to talk with you guys. This is at least one of the very interesting topics for us and definitely something that you've been at least instilling in us when you were back with us in California and definitely one of your more interested topics, so to speak. Uh, just yeah. what it means to be dangerous and what that looks like in a good way, what it looks like in a bad way, uh, and how we can use that to benefit society. Because I think ultimately we have dangerous people in the world, whether we like it or not. Yeah, definitely. And I think that John Eldridge kind of put me on this path as part of the uh, Wild at Heart book. He talked about how he feels that men need permission, permission to do a lot of things. One of them is to be dangerous and that society discounts that to some degree. Um, but in terms of like what it actually means to be dangerous, well, kind of like what you were alluding to a second ago, there are a lot of dangerous people in the world who want to cause harm or want to use their power um, negatively. And really, the way that I see it, it takes dangerous people to stop those dangerous people, if that makes sense. I think ultimately a dangerous man is just a man who's capable of dealing with serious problems like the type of problems that get your adrenaline pumping stressful situations you know like a dog attacking your daughter or a robber targeting you or a loved one on the street a road rage incident or um even intervening in situations where you are just a bystander being dangerous allows you to protect the people close to you with confidence and it also allows you to intervene and protect others when it matters most and i think the more people we have that are capable of doing that um overall safer and better the world will be yeah and i think a lot more of that has to do with capability that you're willing to take as opposed to oh some people are just you know more interested with uh, uh outdoorsy dangerous type things that people stereotype i think it's more of a you have a person who is willing to take steps forward to doing those sorts of, sorts of things and is actually good at making decisions and carrying out those decisions yeah, those are all super important factors. I, yeah, I think really the there's not a lot of unifying factors in what makes someone dangerous, but there are a, a, a few for sure. Um, I think that one of the most important ones is just decisiveness. You need to be able to look at a, a situation and go, I'm going to do this right now, and then you have to follow through and do it. Um, I've seen a lot of like videos of, you know, those videos that go viral on YouTube, like man helps officer who was being assaulted or... Um, person intervenes in robbery, those types of things. But the people that are actually interviewed, intervening are all different shapes and sizes. I saw one the other day where this um, like elderly woman just took a cane and just beat this guy up because he was robbing someone in a store. <laughs> like It really just takes awareness of knowing that something bad is happening and then the confidence in yourself to actually make a decision and go forward with it. Now, that's the bare minimum, mind you. That's the bare minimum to actually get moving, um, but that's a start. Yeah, I think conversely, you can have dangerous people in the opposite spectrum where they're dangerous because 
they are without courage, without strong character, they're without discipline. And because of that, they sort of just, you know, kind of get pushed around in society. And yeah. they they make these effect, uh, these decisions that so negatively affect the people that they're around them just because, I mean, it sounds mean, but just to say they just bumble around and, and run into things along the way. And those things mm -hmm. have a tendency to be people. Yeah, I'd say that, you know, I don't want to use the word dangerous so much and for so many things that it becomes meaningless. So I almost want to pick a different word for that type of person. And I think the word that comes to mind is, is hazardous. I feel like dangerous is rather targeted, rather focused. Like a gun is dangerous because you point it at something and pull the trigger, you know? Toxic waste is just hazardous, you know? <laughs> because it damages anything that it comes into contact with, anything nearby and you just need to stay away from it. And that's kind of how I view those people. They're, they're not exactly dangerous, they're hazardous. They're, they're sniveling, sorry people who just kind of drag everything down around them or who accidentally just create problems where they go, they create drama. Um, I, I see those people as, as being hazardous is the term that I would use. Yeah, and sometimes it's really hard to get out of those positions. So it's not like we're overly trying to like say these people are like the worst possible things. There is absolutely no hope for them, but like there is yeah. definitely room to grow and to be disciplined in the character development that you have there. Yeah, and a lot of people end up there at some point in their lives. Like if if you have an anger issue, for example, you could fall into that category at some times. And yeah, I, yeah, it, it's important to realize that um, dangerous and hazardous doesn't just mean physically, of course, right? But it takes the same type of the same type of person who would stand up to a dog attacking someone or stand up to a robber would also stand up to one of those um, like self-interested um, kind of like weaselly people who's, you know, trying to scam you at a used car dealership or something. You know, um, it, it's the same type of dangerous man who stands up against both of those threats, rather, it's, whether it's a physical one or a, a bumbling person who's hazardous in their ways. Yeah, for sure. And I think if we're going to, if we could backtrack to some of the characteristics of sort of what the good, dangerous people are. Um, so if the sort of the hazardous type people, we could say they're without courage, without strong character, without discipline, we would probably say that good, dangerous people are with those characteristics for sure. Yeah, they have courage. They have a confidence in themselves. They have skill. When you look at videos, um, and this is actually a good thing to do, if you just look up videos of people being robbed, it, it sounds kind of bad, but you actually learn a lot about human psychology and how humans work in those types of stressful situations um, from the people that immediately give in and offer no resistance to uh, the behavior of third parties who usually just stand and watch um, to the behavior of the actual um, perpetrators. It's interesting to note that those people who are perpetrating are usually very much without courage because as soon as they face any kind of resistance, they usually cave very quickly, um, which is sort of a confidence boost for you, the chap who wants to intervene in that type of situation, and I hope you would. Um, it's not to say take it lightly, but it's to say it usually doesn't take much to very quickly neutralize um, the threat in that type of situation. Right. Yeah. And I think now that you mentioned that those characteristics for those videos actually make a whole lot more sense now, but I hadn't really thought about it too much. Um, but if we talk about courage a little bit, what do you think about people who have, for lack of better words, reckoned with their own death 
and how that leak uh, links together with being dangerous like people who have accepted death who are willing to die but at the same time like want to continue living and have their own impact as much as possible on society as a whole well i think that <clears throat> i think the way you build courage is by facing your fears head on it's really the only way to do it um, whether we're talking in a grand sense or even in a very specific sense like oh you're afraid of airplanes Sorry, but you're going to have to go get on an airplane. Like, that's the only way you're going to deal with that. And so well, what's the ultimate thing for a human to be afraid of? Well, it's death. And so to say that a man or a woman has reckoned with their own death is to say that they have gone to the scariest thing they can imagine, and they've looked at it, and they've gone, yeah, I'm okay with that. And so when you get to that point, it's really confident. It's really, it builds confidence in you. There's nothing much more scary than death. There's nothing really else to be afraid of in the same way. Um, so if you've reckoned with that, if you've realized that death is inevitable and that you have to live in spite of it, it really frees you to behave in ways that maybe you wouldn't have before, ways that are positive for everyone. Yeah, and it doesn't mean being any more careless about your life or others' lives. It just means that you're okay with putting yourself in danger to help other people. Yeah, for sure. And you're also of the understanding that I almost want to say that danger isn't as dangerous as people think. Um, I feel like the type of person who always avoids dangerous situations could ultimately be putting themselves in more danger um, by, by being a, a bystander. Or just being think... that type of person who doesn't have character, courage, or discipline and becomes Exactly, hindrance. yeah, because what happens when you run away from danger all the time well, that becomes your mindset, right? Always run away from danger. So what happens when you have problems in your life, right? That's danger. Are you going to run away from all of those too? What happens if, you're, if your wife is arguing with you? Are you going to run away from that conversation? What happens when um, you find out that your kid's been doing drugs? You're going to ignore it? You're going to not deal with that because you don't want to rock the boat and, and accept that danger head on? At some point, you have to accept danger in your life if you want to make any progress forwards. And there's also certain dangers that you should not accept. But I feel like if you err on the side of accepting more dangers, which is accepting more responsibility, I think that's a lot better than erring on the other side. Yeah, especially with the current day and age that we live in, where we seem to be trying to minimize risk and minimize as much danger as we can. Yeah, and I think that that started out as a very good thing, like indisputably. You know, people used to die at 36 years old. Why? There was just too much danger, and eventually it will catch up with you. Um, but now we're kind of in on, on the opposite side of things where we don't have enough danger in our lives to be producing people that are really strong, which means if you do want to be a really strong person, you actually have to seek out danger. Like nobody used to like lift weights and work out, at least not to the degree that they do now, because life was just hard. Like life would make you strong. You know, um, you would have to carry heavy things as part of life. You would have to you're always on your feet, moving, you know, working. Um, but because that isn't the case anymore. People artificially create those those struggles to make themselves strong. And you almost have to do that same thing with danger. That doesn't mean causing problems. That also does not mean being a reckless idiot and taking on unnecessary danger. But rather, when you see a situation where you could intervene and be a positive force for good, um, that, yeah, do that. Do that. It's good for you. It's, it's good for other people. You just have to judge the situation correctly. Yeah, for sure.
Uh, but while we're, while we're on that topic, do you think you could just tell us some more things about what do you think could help people in general become more dangerous in that sense? I think the first thing is realizing that it is necessary. Um, I have like a little acronym that I use. Well, it's not really an acronym. It's the same letter four times. But a little acronym I use to kind of like explain this to people. And it's just four S's. So S-S-S-S. I guess it's it's <laughs> uh, like, a, like a Minecraft creeper. <laughs> no, but really. Um, four S's. The first is situational awareness. Um, and these go in order of importance, by the way. Situational awareness is the most important thing you can do to become more dangerous. Because if you aren't aware of what's going on around you, there's no way you can do anything to deal with the situation that's arising. Because you're not even going to notice it. Uh, if your head is in your phone, if your eyes are down, if you're not paying attention, if you're zoned out or in your thoughts when you're in certain public spaces, um, you're just not going to be as effective of a person in dealing with any kind of problem. And the same you could extend to like relationships, for example. You have to actually be aware of what's going on and seeing almost from like a third party point of view. But anyway, let's talk some practical things. For one, your, your phone. If you're going to be situationally aware, you can't be on your phone in public. And generally, you can honestly just leave it in your pocket. Like You don't need to be on your phone nearly as much as you think you do. And um, it's honestly very satisfying to be more grounded in the real world. But supposing you do have to go on your phone, what I'll typically do is I'll just lean with my back against a wall, which is comfortable anyway. And instead of holding my phone down, like by my waist or low, I'll just hold it a little bit higher, more at my head level. And that allows me to see via my peripheral vision what's going on. And I don't have to worry what's right behind me because I got my back to a wall. Um, it doesn't look that weird, and um, it makes it a lot safer to be on your phone in public. Um, then also just having your eyes up and around, just be looking around. And I've found that um, I'm just a naturally curious person, like I want to know what's going on. I'll see someone wearing an interesting shirt, and I'll be like, oh, that's a cool shirt. And I'll look around and I'll see a cool car, and I'll be like, oh, that's a cool car. Um, if you just keep your eyes always moving around, you'll notice things. Um, it'll be interesting, and it also keeps you safer because you can detect potential threats. Um, I think also under situational awareness, it's worth briefly mentioning the two, um, kind of like, like red, red flags, um, just times you should be more aware. Uh, the first is when you're entering a new environment because it's a whole bunch of new things going on all at once, right? Uh, if you're walking into a room, there's a ton of people in that room. You might not have any idea who they are or what exactly they're doing there. So in that type of situation, just scan for a second. And then also transitional spaces, um, the vast majority of like robberies or or even fights take place in transitional spaces. Um, that's where you're like moving from one place to another place and it's a sh pretty short distance typically. So a lot of times it's doorways, um, walking into a doorway, walking out of a doorway, getting into a car, getting out of a car. Um, those transitional spaces are times you should really be extra alert. Um, and then, so what I'll typically do is if I'm like getting out of my car, I'll do a quick like, 20 meter scan and then a quick like five meter scan just kind of around and it takes a split second you literally just look around see what's there get out of your car go about your business um and then you know i'll sit down in a place look around at the place and then i can kind of relax and chill you know so it's really only a couple extra steps to just be more aware of what's going on around you what would you say if someone might call that paranoia i think it can be it depends on your mentality uh, for me, it's not paranoia. I'm not scared of any specific thing, and I'm not scared of any, um, like, ethereal thing. Um, 
it's honestly more fun for me to just be aware of what's going on because I love people. Like I love seeing what's happening. Um, so it's joyful for me to just constantly be looking and seeing what's happening. Um, but it also allows me to potentially, um, to, to see any potential threats before they actually become threats. Um, so, so yeah, with regard to paranoia, I think it can be, it depends why you're doing it. And if you start doing this, it will feel like paranoia at first. Like you will feel paranoid. You'll have to look at everyone and then you kind of relax into it and you'll find that you're just a little bit more of an observant person now. But making changes is hard and it might feel like paranoia at first, but eventually it'll just become a habit and you don't even think about it anymore. Uh, the next S on my list is strength. So the first was situational awareness. Second thing you need is strength. Um, if you are not a physically fit person, it's just going to be a lot harder for you to intervene. Now, you still can, um, especially if you have a confident aura about you, if you have a strong voice. Um, but strength is so necessary in so many aspects of life. And it's definitely helpful when intervening in, in any kind of situation that could get physical. Um, for one, like, like some of the examples I mentioned earlier, um, if there's like a dog attacking your daughter, if there's uh, someone who's threatening you on the street, um, not only will you being strong potentially help with actually like physically dealing with that, like pushing the dog off of your kid, picking up your kid above your head out of the way of the dog, um, pushing away the robber, grabbing something back, um, but also just being a more strong looking person deters so many bad things from happening in the first place. Um, I watched a very interesting interview where some uh, pickpockets and, and uh, robbers and other types of criminals that would like target people on the street were shown videos and then they were asked to pick who they would target, which is kind of a dark experiment. But they found um, pretty consistently that the main factor was for situational awareness. They'd pick people who weren't paying attention. Um, and that was by far the best factor. Like they'd pick some young, healthy looking, like, you know, 20 year old male, but he was just on his phone, not paying attention. And they'd be like, yeah, that guy, I'd rob that guy. Um, and then the second factor that they really um, took into account was like the physical strength of the person. Like how strong do they look? You know, they would target people that looked physically weaker. So that's why the first two things that, that I have on my little list are situational awareness and strength. Those are top factors for sure. Yeah, especially with strength, you don't realize how hard it is to like actually do something until you actually try to do it. So if you're immediately thrown into it with, you know, all the other different motions that are being thrown at you, then it at least helps to have the strength component down so you can actually do whatever it is you need to do. Yeah, for sure. And I think that kind of ties into what I'm saying next is skill. Um, skill could mean a lot of different things. There's a lot of different ways to be dangerous. If we're going with my earlier definition of it allows you to be effective in stressful situations. Um, I mean, skill could literally just be tying knots, you know? Someone fell down a cliff and you need to rappel down to get them. You know, can you tie a good knot? Um, skill could be martial arts. I think that's a pretty big one. Martial arts builds confidence and it gives you a framework for stopping a threat. If you don't have any martial arts training and you're looking at someone who's hitting his wife and you're walking towards him and you're thinking, I need to do something to this guy to make him stop, it's really important to have a framework to fall back on. Whether that's, all right, I'm going to run up and just bear hug him uh, sweep the leg, get him on the ground, you know, wrestling. Maybe you're like, hey, I'm going to walk up, hands up, and just start throwing punches at this guy, you know, boxing. But you need something. You need a framework to fall back on if you ever want to deal with any kind of physical altercation like that. Um, 
And when it comes to physical altercations, I would say that skill beats strength. The reason I have strength first is on my list is because, as I mentioned earlier, it has other benefits such as being a natural deterrent and allowing you to excel in, in other situations. But when it comes to actually like fighting someone, if you think you're going to need to do that in your life, and you may, it's super important to have martial arts confidence. Um, it's also worth knowing that those types of situations are so much like more likely to be lethal, uh, not to be lethal, to be like fights than they are to be deadly, if that makes sense. Um, it, it is likely that at some point in your life, you would have, you will have a tussle with someone, you know, maybe you'll be um, pulling someone off of someone else due to a road rage incident. Maybe you'll just be trying to neutralize a drunk man who's smashing everything within sight. Um, but you need to be able to do that without having the mindset of like, I might have to kill this person. And martial arts training helps you do that too. If you are like getting choked out and fighting people on a regular basis for fun, then you're not going to break a sweat when you have to deal with someone on the street just because it's not like crazy to you. It's not like this is an insane new situation that I'm being put in. And you're actually less likely to hurt that person because you're not going to be thinking, I need to kill this person. You're going to be thinking, yeah, I just need it, you know. Um, you know, get them on the ground and get an armbar. Um, so it's it's better for everyone if you're skilled in martial arts and you have to intervene in that type of situation, even the person you're intervening against, potentially. Yeah, funny enough, we actually did an episode where we just kind of... Basically, what we did was we said, okay, these are two people who know, like, like with Zach knowing a little bit more about martial arts than me, and by that I mean a lot more martial arts than me. We just talked about, you know, some of the basic different types of martial arts and like what we would recommend for people um and one of our main highlight points and basically our only main highlight point was if you enjoy some a certain type of martial art or it's appealing to you go and do that because at least having some mindset or at least some skill is infinitely better than having uh, nothing to work with yeah you really just need a framework to fall back on for sure if you had a recommendation though as a like what you would recommend uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and Muay Thai. <laughs> yeah, that's that's, that's pretty much what we say. We said Jiu Jitsu and toss up between boxing or Muay Thai. Yeah, that's fair. I like Muay Thai because you learn more kicks, and kicks are helpful, especially because random people on the street never see them coming. You know, <laughs> and their your legs are longer than your arms, so you have more range. That is true. That is true. Yeah, I think that jujitsu is really good for, obviously, grappling, and um, Muay Thai is really good for stand-up. And so if you're decent at both of those, and honestly, for the vast majority of situations, you don't need to be great. Like, you just need to have enough knowledge to, like, know how to hurt somebody if you need to, and to have the confidence to actually do it, and the practice of having done it before, and having it done back to you. Yeah, I think one of the other appeals to jujitsu is that it provides a great way for you to run away from the situation if things go south or if that's where you're starting off and like i need to get out of here because i don't think i can do this yeah okay so going back to my my s list we did situational awareness that's number one for sure you can't deal with the situation if you don't see the situation and then two was strength you have to be strong and also you don't really have an excuse for not being strong like, I don't care what your perceived excuse is. Like, we live in the age where there is an infinite, like, unbelievable amount of information online about how to get strong, how to lose weight. There's a gym on every corner. You can do it. Just shut up and go lift some weights. Um, and then we talked about skill. That's crucial. You need a framework to fall back on. The last one is stuff. 
I probably would have said um, like weapons or tools, but stuff starts with an S. So there you go. <laughs> um, you need to, honestly, eh, you don't need to, but it is oftentimes very helpful um, to have some kind of weapon to use. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, you're a lot more likely to get in a physical altercation than you are a deadly altercation. I would say it's probable that at some point in your life you will be in a physical altercation. It is improbable that at some point in your life you will be in a deadly altercation. It's very improbable. Um, however, there are certain tools that um, the bad guys may use against you that if you don't have them, um, you're just kind of screwed and you can't do a ton in response. Um, if someone has a gun and they are a few feet from you, you kind of just have to comply. Like there's really not a lot you can do in that situation. Um, if there is a shooting going on, and you hear it, you're nearby. If you don't have a gun, you can't do anything, buddy. Like, you have to run. So tools allow you to intervene in situations that you otherwise could not intervene in. And critically, the types of situations that require tools to intervene in are usually the ones where it really, really, really counts. Um, like, I, I go back to the to the story of um, Jack. I forget his last name, but he was an older fellow in a, in a church congregation just a short drive from me down the freeway. Um, and a guy came in with a sawed-off shotgun concealed beneath the trench coat and uh, shot a person in the congregation. And Jack just stood up, drew his 1911 pistol, and with a single round dropped the guy from, I think it was like 12, 12 yards, 15 yards. Um, if he hadn't have had that, it would have been so much harder for him to intervene in that situation. He would have had to physically rush somebody who was holding a shotgun. And that is one of the most terrifying things I can imagine doing probably wouldn't even have done it and you know no shame in that that's terrifying um but because he had that tool he was able to intervene so there's a very narrow slice of situations where you do really need some kind of weapon to rely on and usually that's a gun why well they're easily concealable there's a huge market for training for concealing them and for products to conceal them and they're very effective um if if bad guys can use those weapons against you and you can use those weapons to defend yourself you may as well get trained in that um it's honestly just kind of an afterthought for me now but when i get up in the morning you know i put my pants on and then i put my gun on and then i walk out the door and it's just not something i think about anymore but i know that i have the training and the ability to draw really quickly uh, to make accurate hits um i've learned stuff about um like over penetration i've learned how to do contact shots if I'm like grappling with someone. I've learned a lot of things that allow me to use that weapon effectively and I can actually, it's an asset to me rather than a liability. Now I will say that the more stuff that you have and rely on, like knives, guns, if you rely on those things, the more skill that you need to have. Because I don't want someone walking around on the street with a gun that they would plan to use defensively without having any training for it. Um, you're more likely to injure yourself or someone that you don't want to injure. Or you're going to pull it out and then realize it's jammed or something, which I've seen happen so much in videos. So if you're going to rely on some kind of weapon, potentially, if you're going to carry one, you really it's so important that you get training for it. Yeah, I think that's the other type of dangerous person that we were talking about that you don't like yeah, calling dangerous. Person. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's that's a hazardous person. They haven't done their due diligence. That's for sure. And I think another thing that's definitely worth mentioning, just as like a, something to throw out there, learn medical. And like, like here's the thing, first, first aid in terms of like, you know, bandages and burn cream, like that's nice, that's super useful. You'll use that all the time in your life, learn it. 
But if we're talking about dealing with critical situations, being dangerous in that way, you really need to know how to stop bleeding quickly. Like, you should know how to use a tourniquet. You should probably just be carrying a tourniquet, at least in your car. Um, you should know how to quickly make a tourniquet if you have to, which isn't the best thing, but hey, better than nothing. You should know how to pack wounds. Um, I know, Daniel, you could, you could riff on that more. Chest seals, yeah, exactly. Chest seals are a big one, especially in a more civilian-like environment, just because based on the different types of weapons that are used and the close range, you might have to refresh me on the numbers because I don't pay as much attention to that, but I think it's like 95% of all civilian and police officer shootings are within like nine yards of each other. When you're that close, um, usually you're looking at center of mass type wounds. And so chest seals are really important. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I know that um, most, the majority of police gunfights at least um, occur between three and six feet, which is like almost arm's length within those three to six feet um they're accurate with about 30 percent of shots um which just shows how hard it is to be to be accurate um when you're stressed out that's why you need to get training yeah for sure and yeah 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 definitely if those are people who are like actually training and that's what's happening to them then yeah definitely training um yeah. but backtracking to chest seals really fast i know when we were talking about this months ago uh you were saying about how you weren't you hadn't invested too much into chest seals because there's a certain degree of training that you have to go into it's not crazy but there are like it's not like a tourniquet where you just put it on and then write down the time and then ship them off to the hospital it's more of a okay you have to do this and if this is happening then you have to do this to it um but they're selling chest seals now that you just put them on and that's all you have to do so you're talking like vented chest seals yeah, they're occlusive dressings is essentially what it is. It's keeping the air in, but sometimes things that are happening in the lungs make it such that you have to take it off. Um, but any any chest seal should have a way to be able to vent in some shape, way, or form. Because otherwise, you're going to have serious back, problems. That goes back to skill, right? That goes back to skill. It's another thing to learn. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So moving on, um, I have a question for you, Billy. What would you say about having anger as a dangerous person? Do you think having anger is good? Well, I think it's pretty evident that anger can be very bad, especially as a dangerous person. But also, I will say that if you are truly a, a dangerous person, you have that dangerous nature under control, under voluntary control, and you're not likely to lash out and use that in anger. Um, I've found that a lot of times the people that are actually the most dangerous, or should I say hazardous, when they're angry, are the people that have no training. Um, they have no skill. They have no strength. Those are the people that most often lash out and are hazardous when they're angry. Um, but that being said, as a dangerous person, like, no, it, it usually isn't good to be angry. But it really depends what that anger is about and how it's used and directed. Because at the end of the day, anger is just another emotion, you know? Um, just like sadness or happiness it, it it all depends on the context i mean throughout the bible we see jesus get angry in, in several situations oftentimes at the pharisees or at people getting taken advantage of like when he cleared the temple and in fact in that example that was anger spurring on jesus to behave as a dangerous man so i think really it all comes down to context and i think also it's evidently obvious like it is really easy to look at yourself and say 
Like, this anger that I'm feeling, is it going to be used in a productive way? Like, man, it is usually not hard to discern. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's usually pretty self-explanatory. Like, well, why am I angry right now? Well, my wife said this to me. Where are we? We're in a Walmart parking lot. Should I yell at her? No. Like, you shouldn't. You know, it usually is not that hard to discern. Um, you just have to actually have the wherewithal and the willpower to step back from your anger and look at yourself almost from a third-person point of view and just be like, is this is this the right thing to do? Like, is this the godly thing to do? Or am I lashing out in, in an unrighteous anger? So I think that the main things I have to say is um, it totally depends on the situation, A. And um, B, it's pretty obvious if it's not if it's the bad kind of anger and you're handling it poorly. What do you think about cold anger versus sort of that overwhelming rage, almost red hot anger, as far as its usefulness in the situations that uh, we've been talking about? That's a hard one because it really depends. And I felt both of those in, in all sorts of different situations and they've done, they've spurred me on to do all sorts of different things. I think that usually the type of like cold kind of slower anger that you feel is is usually more relational. It's usually more long-term. And there's very, very, very few times where that's a good thing that you should um, act off of, very rarely. Now, what it should do is it should spur you to actually fix the problem. That type of anger usually indicates like there's a problem here that I need to fix that I haven't fixed yet and I've been ignoring it. Um, I don't, I don't find that type of like cold, slow anger happening very much in those like high speed, high adrenaline type of stressful situations where being a dangerous man is important in a, in a matter of seconds, like all of a sudden. Um, I think that in those situations, it, it can be very often that that anger will arise, like the red hot type of anger that you mentioned. Um, I feel like we need better words to discern these. I guess just cold anger or hot anger. Yeah, hot anger um, hot, seems a little weird, yeah. but cold anger definitely seems appropriate for what Dude, it is. hot anger. Sometimes <laughs> you see someone who's angry and you're like, mm. no, no one does that. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but sometimes this hot anger will arise in those types of stressful situations. And really, I think it's important that you have pre-gamed those situations. In, 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 and here, here's what I mean by that. Um, let's say you're walking, you're walking home one day and you throw open the door and there's uh, someone in your house who you don't know standing there and they have a mask on. You need to already like know, what would I do in that situation? And again, this can kind of fall back to paranoia if you're constantly going, oh, what if this happened? What if that happened? What if this happened? Um, but it also really doesn't take that much effort to just think like, hmm, what if I did come home and there was someone in my house and I didn't know them? It's like, oh, well, if I were me, I'd probably draw my weapon and keep it pointed at the ground and say, what are you doing here? In a firm, loud voice, if they had a mask on, um, if they didn't have a mask on and they were just some random Joe, I'd just say, what are you doing here? You know, you kind of need to like pregame those things ahead of time so that you don't walk into your house, see some guy, draw your gun and say, what are you doing here? And he's like a termite inspector or something who your apartment let in, you know? Um, so pre-gaming these things ahead of time allows you to know what your responses would be and then to just kind of like snap into the appropriate response should something bad happen that causes your anger to arise. Um, I think that's pretty crucial. But also, I think that, um, again, if you are really a trained, disciplined person, you won't have these bursts of anger that overwhelm you or threaten to make you do things that you don't really want to do. And if you are having that, maybe you should just chill for a second and think because behaving under those circumstances is probably going to be bad for everybody.
Yeah, for sure. Uh, just one last question. I think we'll call it a day. Um, yeah. But what do you think about navigating as a dangerous person in a world that so heavily frowns upon dangerous people? Oh, why do you need to tell them? I mean, there's there's no need really. You're not bragging about it. Um, it's it's sort of like a. I know the Navy SEALs oftentimes call call themselves the, the quiet professionals. You know, they're at least not supposed to brag about what they do, um, and they're extremely dangerous people. Um, I think that also the the most dangerous people are the people that you don't immediately look at and go, oh yeah, that guy's dangerous, right? Um, I know John Lavelle of the Warrior Poet Society famously said that. If everyone can tell that you're the most dangerous person in the room, you're you're no longer the most dangerous person in the room. Or at the very least, um, your efficacy in some kind of critical situation has been diminished. Because if anyone wants to start a problem and they see you and they go, that guy might intervene, you're not going to be able to to act in... So, so basically, some of your options might be limited because they're already aware of your presence. Yeah, I think that's one of um, the reasons you've always been against open carrying or at least the idea of someone doing yeah. it on a regular basis. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I, I don't, you know, if you're a cop and you're in uniform, yeah, yeah open carry, because everyone expects you to be armed already. Uh, if you're one of those dudes who goes around in those Brinks cars and transports cash, like, yeah, do your thing. Um, but if you're just a random civilian going about your business, um, don't open carry. There, there, there's, there's a lot of problems with it. I am all for um, the promotion and proliferation of the second amendment and making sure people know your rights yeah but you can also use your rights in a stupid way and i think that usually open carrying is a stupid way um yeah if there's yeah, a situation just, just... where someone is pulling a gun for a shooting or something and they see that you have a gun they're gonna go for you first so if you're concealed carrying then you're more able to stop the situation without them knowing about it yeah bad yeah. guys are always the ambushers yeah, bad guys always like to ambush. That's true. And I think two things on that. One, that exact situation happening could totally happen, but I've never heard of it happening, and it's super rare. In fact, it could even be said that uh, people open carrying could deter someone from doing that, and that may be true as well. Um, but I think what's way more likely, what's likely to happen in everyday life, is that people are just going to think you're a weirdo if you open carry. <laughs> like, there's a lot of people who are not comfortable with... Uh, with, with guns and you're just going to alienate yourself to a lot of people kind of automatically. And you might think like, well, I don't care about that. You know, zero F's mentality. Just, I, I do my own thing. Um, yeah, sure. But you still exist with other people and, um, you still rely on other people's opinions of you and how they act towards you every day, constantly. Um, like you want a job, you got to rely on other people. You want a family, you got to rely on other people. So not to riff on this for too long, but, um, I just don't think open carrying is the wisest idea because, yeah, as we mentioned, it gives away that you are armed. It makes you immediately almost less armed than if you were just concealed carrying it, and uh, people are going to think you're weird. Don't do it. But, hey, that's just my opinion. If you want to do it anyway, do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fair enough, I suppose. Um, that's pretty much all we have. We kind of got through everything and you answered everything really well for us. Was there anything you wanted to throw out? Just uh, thoughts you were having midway? I know you're pretty good about saying the stuff that you want to say. So, but Yeah, I, I always like to kind of summarize at the end. I won't do that too much because, you know, you can always grab the little slider and go back in the show if you really want to go over something. But I think the one thing I, I would like to talk about for a second is, I guess, just taking the next step. Because you might hear this and think like, oh, I got to be some kind of like, 
biker gang tough guy. Like, no, you don't. I'm certainly not. Um, I just have taken steps in my life to put myself in a more advantageous position physically and mentally should I need to intervene in some kind of situation. And I think that everyone can take steps. Like, you can always take a step in the right direction. You could take a step in the right direction right now. You could go on Amazon, order a cat tea tourniquet, and look up how to apply a tourniquet. That takes literally five minutes, and you'll learn something new, and you'll have a tool that could potentially save someone's life. Uh, you could go and sign up for a martial art. You could go and hit the gym. You should be doing that anyway. It's important. Um, you could remember to keep your phone in your pocket when you're walking and just keep your eyes up. Enjoy the day. Look around you. There's a lot of things you can do that just kind of gradually, incrementally push you in the right direction. If you really want to learn about habits, go listen to the habits episode, also featuring me. Uh, but I think in terms of habits, and if you really want to become a more dangerous, effective person in your life, um, do it habitually, meaning do it incrementally and bit by bit, move in the right direction every day, baby steps. Yeah, it seems like really great advice. Uh, but yeah, thanks for being on the episode, Billy. We'll hopefully have you on again for another one later down the road. Yeah, I always appreciate you guys. And a uh, little teaser, I, I, love, I love to do it with myself and Anna, you know? My wife talk about some relational stuff. It'd be pretty dope. All right, yeah, we'll try and get that hammered out and figured yeah, out. Yeah, let's, let's, let's get it synced up. All right, I appreciate you guys. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks, you too, Billy. We do have a Bible verse for this week, which is Proverbs 10, 17. Whoever heeds discipline shows the way to life, but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. Thanks for listening to this episode of the True Strength Podcast. If you enjoyed today's conversation, consider following us on Instagram at the True Strength Podcast so you don't miss future episodes. Until next time, goodbye and God bless.